The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. It's great to be with you again, and I want to welcome you all in the name of Jesus. And especially visitors, thanks so much for joining us today. If you are new to The Springs Church, this is a body of people being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that anybody can find the way to God. And we are glad that you've chosen to gather with us this morning and to come with us and worship. And I wanted to take this moment to invite you again to another gathering uh, this evening that is at Oklahoma Christian University at 6.30 in Baugh Auditorium. It's One Voice. I believe it's their second annual One Voice worship event. It's just a great night of all sorts of different um, Church of Christ ministers, leaders around the city that come together and lead us in song, prayer, scripture, and uh, it's going to be a great time. I was actually supposed to lead worship at this tonight, but I thought it would be more fun to get sick, and as you can probably hear, I'm at the point where I can speak, but singing is a little bit of a challenge right now. So I hope you'll go, though, regardless, because uh, it'd be great to have a good Springs turnout, and I know it's going to be a really good time. So that's one voice tonight at 630. Uh, But this morning, we continue our Christ and Crisis sermon series And I'm really, really excited for you all to get to hear from our very own Lisa Buck. She is an amazing woman of God, and she and her husband Steve have been here at the Springs for 18 years now. Um, They're very busy folks. Um, Steve is the Secretary of Human Services and Early Childhood Initiatives in Oklahoma. He was appointed that by our governor earlier this year. And Lisa is the foster care ombudsman for Oklahoma DHS. Uh, So that on top of all their children, Savannah, Avery, Kirby, Kinsey, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and a grandchild, they're just a tad busy. Um, But they are an amazing family. And so I'm really, really excited for you to hear um, from Lisa this morning. I think it's gonna be really special. Just a couple little comments by way of introduction. Um, First of all, my life and my life with Lara would look a whole lot different uh, if it were not for Lisa, uh, because you just cannot go to church with her for very long without being confronted by this need for uh, foster children, in Oklahoma especially. And so I'm very, very grateful to her for that. the best course of action when she talks about foster care is just to tune her out. Because <laughs> if you allow yourself to listen for very long, uh, you're in danger of, of kind of getting your life blown up. Um, obviously, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, no, I, I'm really, really grateful for Lisa. And then secondly, just a little bit more general point, I sat down for lunch with Lisa a couple months ago for this series, and I sat down expecting to hear one story of crisis, and instead I heard another that I had no idea about. And so I think that speaks to this idea that many of us have or will have 
multiple crises in our lives, and many of us are, we're all made up of these different stories that are being written, uh, but all being written together with the redemptive purposes of God in our lives. And so I wanna invite Lisa up to go ahead and pray uh, for us as we begin our conversation. Lord, thank you for your servant, Lisa. Thank you so much for your spirit that is so evident in her, that speaks so powerfully and with such conviction and passion through her. God, help us to listen with open ears. Help us to seek to hear your word in her life. Seek to hear your word in her story, the story of her family, and seek to live into that word in our own lives. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you, and we lift up your name above all other names. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. Well, That's all my husband really needed to hear, is the preacher said I can tune you out. <laughs> Thanks no, so much. No, no. <laughs> Never tune this woman out. Um, so the first question that Ben and I start off is always the simplest but longest, and that's just what is this story of crisis in your life? Give us some context and background and walk us through. So um, some of you guys were around during this time, um, and some of you have not heard this story, and some of you walk side by side with us through this story. Um, so for those of you who don't know us, my husband Steve and I have um, four girls and two boys. Um, our third and fourth girls are um, Kinsey and Kirby, and they're twins. Um, when they were two, just about to turn three, um, one day um, Kirby started acting kind of funny, and um, I thought, oh, there's an ear infection, um, because I'm pretty much an MD. Um, and so I took her to the pediatrician, and I took Kinsey, too, because, you know, what one had, the other one always had as well, too. And so I proclaimed that Kirby had an ear infection, and Kinsey probably did, too. He had a different opinion, and he said Kirby had an ear infection, but Kinsey was fine. And I was like, can't you just write me the prescription, because I'm going to be back here. Um, and so we left, and 24 hours later, sure enough, Kenzie lays down on the floor and starts being kind of whiny. And I walk over, and she's got a fever. And I was like, dadgummit. I told him he she was going to have this ear infection. Um, and so the next morning, before I could get her to the pediatrician for this, you know, ear infection that I was convinced she had, she had a 16-minute seizure. I'd never had a kid that had a seizure before, and it terrified me. We rushed to um, the emergency room at Mercy, and um, they worked on her a while and did a bunch of tests and everything, and they came back and said, well, it's probably just a feverall seizure. It's what kids have when their fever goes up and down, and it's pretty common. We don't see anything else that's really going on. Um, so we went home, and that evening my pediatrician called, and he goes, how are you feeling about all of this? And I said, I'm scared. I don't, I don't really like this. And he said, yeah, let's bring her in in the morning, and let's have a look. So we went in the next morning, and she was extremely lethargic um, and not very responsive. 
And he took a look at her, and he said, um, yeah, her ears are fine, her lungs are fine, I'm really not seeing anything. He says, what's your gut telling you, Mom? And I said, my gut is sick. I don't like this. And he said, yeah, mine too. Let's admit her. I don't know about y'all, but how many doctors will admit to a hospital just on a hunch? That doesn't happen very often. So this whole story, I, I, I'll just be real. I don't believe in coincidences, right? I believe that God has a place in everything that happens, and there's no coincidences. There's the grace of God. So um, the fact that we had a pediatrician that wanted to admit on a hunch, it's not a coincidence. It's a God thing. So we admitted, and it was um, the weekend between Christmas and New Year's, and um, they started running every test in the world on her. They were running cat scratch fever. They were growing cultures and petri dishes. They were bringing in specialists. They couldn't find out what was going on with her. In the meantime, she was declining rapidly. She was losing neurological functions. By day three, she was in extreme pain. Um, we were not able to get the pain under control. Um, things were going downhill rapidly. And we were at New Year's weekend by this point. Um, so at this point, our pediatrician had consulted everybody in Oklahoma City. And I don't know if you're really familiar with, if you've had um, a lot of encounters with pediatric neurology issues. Um, but at the time, there was only one pediatric neurologist in the state of Oklahoma, and she was out of the country. Um, so our pediatrician just so happened to know a pediatric neurologist in Dallas. He just so happened to know this because about three years before our pediatrician's son became um, ill and started having seizures just out of the blue. And in trying to figure out what was happening with that, our pediatrician did massive search across the nation to find a, a, the best pediatric neurologist and found this guy in Dallas, okay? So not only did he find this guy in Dallas, but over the course of the last three years, he and this neurologists became personal friends. So on Sunday night of New Year's weekend, he picked up the phone and called this pediatric neurologist at home. God. He had his number. He called him at home and he said, I've got this kid that's going bad. And now when I say that he called, he called, he called from the hospital because our pediatrician did not leave the hospital for four days and four nights. He said, I can't leave. I don't know what's wrong with her. I cannot leave. Um, and so he called Dr. Elterman at, um, at home on a Sunday night. And he said, I've got this kid that's going bad fast, and I'm stumped. And so they went through everything. They went through all of her symptoms. They went through all the tests and everything that they had run. And Elterman said, I, I got nothing. Now, this is the guy that the Mayo Clinic flies all over the country to consult on pediatric cases. And he says, I got nothing. You've done everything. So they talked a little bit more. And right before he hung up, Dr. Elterman said, you know, there's this one other thing that it could be. 
but it is so incredibly rare, I can't imagine that that's what it is. God said, run this test in the morning and run this specialized CT scan, and if it's what it is, the, the brain will light up in one or two places, okay? And he said, and we'll know that's what we're dealing with. And he said, but again, this is incredibly rare. So the next morning, they ran the test. Instead of one or two spots that lit up on her brain, her entire brain lit up and parts of her spinal column. The radiologist who read the results, I didn't know it. He didn't know it, but he was a member of Quail Springs. He, he read the results, and he immediately picked up the phone and called his wife at home and said, I do not know this child, and I do not know her family, but we need to pray for this baby because she's not going to make it. I've never in my career seen anything like this. A couple of weeks later, he found out it was Kinsey at church. And, um, and he literally, in the pew, went to his knees. Um, God. So um, they called Dr. Elterman and said, yes, this is lit up everywhere. We don't know what's going on. And so um, he said, I need her down here. I need her in Dallas immediately. And um, so they began the, the process of trying to get her from Oklahoma City to Dallas. But this was January around 2005, and we had a huge ice storm coming in that night. And um, it, th by this time, it was like 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. So he tells, he brings Steve and I into this conference room, our pediatrician does, and, and talks to us about this and tells us what's going on. Tells us we have to life flight her immediately to Dallas. And we have no idea what her prognosis is going to be because this is so incredibly rare. Um, but we, this, our only option is to get her to Dallas. Um, he said, I've got a problem, though. He said, this ice storm's coming in, and I can't find a flight that will take her to Dallas and he said no flights here will fly out no flights in Dallas will fly up and he says I'm working on it but we got to have her out in an hour so during this whole conversation that we're having in this conference room it's around the lunch hour when we start having this conversation and for whatever reason God people start showing up at the hospital. I mean, lots of church people start showing up at the hospital. My parents, who are taking care of my other kids, they got somebody to watch Kirby just because they felt a need, God, to be up at the hospital with us at that time. And so my parents were up there. Um, Melanie Lee, our children's minister at the time, was, was up there. Um, when we walked out of the conference room, we were a wreck, a wreck. Um, our pediatrician had written a prescription for um, Valium for me. I know, this gets better. And so um, we stumbled out of the conference room and literally standing outside of the conference room trying to find Kinsey's room was Iris Brooks who was one of our elders' wives at the time. And I fell into her arms, and she took me to the floor, and we sobbed and sobbed. Steve came out behind us right as Phil Loafman stepped off of the elevator. God. 
we go to our room and Tanya Ratcliffe um, worked at Baptist at the time and she was a member of the church and she uh, walked in at that very moment and she said, what can I do to help? And I said, get this prescription for Valium filled. <laughs> I think I'm gonna need lots. And so she takes off to do that. Barbara Baldwin, who was also a church member, was up seeing a, um, a patient and stopped by and she was like, what can I do to help? And I said, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. And so she goes in her purse, this is me being real transparent, she goes in her purse and she pours out a handful of Xanax and puts it in an envelope for us and marks how to, how to take it and rolls it up and hands it to me. And um, we, we were a bit of a wreck. Melanie's um, picking up our stuff and we're, we're going. And so um, the pediatrician shows up and he said, I found an airplane. He said, I found somebody who will fly for you. They'll be here in 20 minutes. So it just so happens, God, that our pediatrician is a private pilot. Now, he couldn't fly her because he had been up for five days and five nights with us. But he had a friend who used to fly for the DEA. And he said, I ain't scared of no ice storm. Have that baby ready. And he got an all-cardiac team who only flew cardiac patients only in the state of Oklahoma together, and within 20 minutes, them and their airplane was waiting for us to take Kinsey to Dallas. So we crawl on this airplane in an ice storm um, because they said you had to go, and we flew her to Dallas. And we didn't know anybody in Dallas. We were, we were from Oklahoma. We didn't know anybody. So, um, you know, everybody's just kind of handing us stuff. My mom handed me some Dramamine because that's what she could dig out of her purse. And, um, you know, people were just trying to do what they could do to help us. And so we left, and we had the clothes on our back. That's all we had. Um, somebody had handed us a $20 bill because we didn't have money with us. And we, we get to Dallas. And I'm... I'm very, I'm, I'm in a real state of shock at this point, you know, and um, I keep asking everybody, where are we? Where are we? Well, I mean, I knew we were in Dallas, but everybody was looking at me like, Dallas, <laughs> Texas, and I was like, no, where are we? I mean, I had some general sense of what, where things were in Dallas, and, I, and they were saying Medical City Hospital, and I couldn't figure out where it was in Dallas, and I kept trying to do that, but all I could say was, where am I? Where am I? Hospital. I mean, you know, we were a mess. And so we, they unloaded her, and they're wheeling her into the hospital. And all I can think was, this hospital is so crowded. Where am I? Where am I? This hospital is so crowded. And there's people just lining the hallways of the hospital. And I'm thinking, this is the most crowded hospital I've ever been in in my life. Where am I? hospital um and so they're they're unloading her in um in PICU okay so I've by this time I've been up five seven days and nights and I'm, I haven't eaten and I'm in shock and so as if Steve doesn't have enough going on in his life I start blacking out and so they've got me in the in the room and I've got my head between my legs and you know they're trying to give me orange juice and stuff like that um 
and I later found out what was wrong with me. But in the, uh, in the meantime, this one when they're trying to unload her and get her set up, this nurse comes in and she says, "Are you the Bucks?" And we said, "Yes." And they said, "Oh, good. All those people out in the hallway, they're here for you." And we said, "No, no, no, no. We're the Bucks from Oklahoma." And they said, yes, ma'am. They've been arriving for the last hour and a half. All of those people in that hallway are for you. We said, we don't know anybody in Oklahoma. And she said, I don't know what to tell you, but all those people are out there for you. And so what had happened was when we left, all of the church people in the hallways at Baptist here, they all went and called everybody that they knew in Dallas and said they're on their way help them so Steve walks out in the hallway to see what's going on and who all these people are and he comes back a little while later and he has his hand is completely full of business cards cash notes this high from people that were out there and they said we had to come we just had to come and addresses for houses that we could use and numbers for cars that we could have and um, anything that we could possibly want in this hand he said I don't even know what to do with this so we um, by this time I was no longer blacking out um, but I was falling asleep everywhere um, and so at that time and it took me I got to tell y'all, it took me like five years of processing this story out before I was able to put all of this together. Because for five years and during that time, I was saying, God has given me such peace. God has given, how great is God to give me such peace in this horrible crisis of a time? And I'm sure God had something to do with that. But I also realized five years later that I took that Xanax and I took that Valium and I took that Dramamine that people were giving me and I was stoned out of my mind. <sighs> and so in my, you know, poor Steve was having to deal with everything with Kinsey and every time I sat down, I was just, <sighs> God is so good, he gives me peace. <sighs> oh my gosh, who does that? And so we finally got her set up in there and, um, and they, there was one chair in the ICU. And so I got it because, you know, I was falling asleep. And um, so I was in the chair and Steve turned over a trash can and he's sitting on top of a trash can and we're staring at monitors. That's just what we're doing. And, you know, I fell asleep. And so I, I fell asleep, and the next thing I know, I hear this crash in our room, and I hear Steve go, ah! And he's standing up. I wake up out of my stupor, and um, I was like, what, what? And I'm looking at the monitors, and they all look okay, and Steve's standing there horrified, and the, we're on a one-on-one -on -one nurse, and the nurse runs in, and she's looking at all the monitors and she's checking everything really fast. And she looks at Steve and she said, did you see it? And Steve said, yes. And she said, you saw it. And Steve said, yes. Again, I'm stoned. And so I'm like, what's going on? Is everybody okay? I mean, I was out of it. And so um, anyway, I didn't think anything else about it. They moved us out. They had to ventilate Kinsey that night. 
um, and she was in a coma. Um, and so she was in a coma for a num number of days. Um, about the third day, um, this nurse that we had on that first night shows back up, and she says, I need to talk to your husband. And so they go out in the hall and um, have this intense discussion. And I uh, came back in, and I said, well, what was wrong? What's, what's that about? And Steve said, nothing. Everything's fine. And uh, that's all I knew about that conversation for about a year and a half. Um, so we, um, when, I, when I talk about those people out in the hallway, they all went back to their church. Now, this was before the days that we had texting, and I, th I think we had cell, cell phones, maybe. It was the dark ages, kids. <laughs> Things were really rough on us back then. <laughs> Email was a big form of communication. Yeah, I know, what? Um, and so people would show up at the hospital with emails that had been forwarded and forwarded and forwarded and just look at us and say, we had to come, okay? So remember, we're in the ice storm, right? So when everybody left the hospital here, Melanie Lee, who we didn't really know all that well at that, at that moment, she was just our children's pastor. He was up and had been supportive of it and everything. Melanie Lee went home and told Gitsy, I gotta go right now. I, I can't wait till tomorrow. I've got to drive right now. And I'm thankful for Gitsy because he said go. Because Melanie was the only person that got out of Oklahoma to be with us. Our parents couldn't get out. None of our family could get out. They all got iced in. And here's Melanie. She was the only one who got there for us. So she had to go buy our underwear, she had to go buy our clothes, she had to, I mean, she was our lifeline um, in Dallas because we didn't have anybody else. Um, and so people started showing up and they said, we need to pray over Kinsey, we're here, we got this email, we gotta pray over Kinsey. Our, my friend told me about Kinsey, I have to come and pray over this, uh, over Kinsey. And Kinsey is in a coma, right? And so we had so many people coming up every day. We started making a list, and we had 12 to 14 people a day that we did not know that was showing up to pray over our baby. In a coma, at the age of two, she was a witness. It got to be so much that people were standing in line in ICU, and we'd have to go out and say, you know, it's going to be a minute but we've met this, this family down the, um, down the hall, and they don't have anybody. Could you go pray for them while you wait for Kinsey? And so Kinsey blessed everybody in ICU, even in a coma, even at the age of two, because she shared her prayers. So the, um, the doctor told us that the um, only thing to treat this was... Um, Massive doses of steroids, so massive that it was, it was greater than any adult dosage, and um, they had to mix it on the floor in order for it to, to work. And so they mixed it on the floor, and he said, you know, three, three to five days in a coma, and we should, she should start coming out of it. Um, so she was slowly coming out of it at five days, and it wasn't looking very good. And she could open her eyes at that point. So Dr. Elterman comes in, and she can barely open her eyes. And, you know, I love the man. I love the man. But he has the personality of a doorknob. 
And he looks at her and he looks at us and he says, well, obviously her recovery will not be remarkable. I was just glad he didn't say, obviously she's going to die. Um, and he said, obviously her recovery will not be remarkable. And um, I think you need to adjust your life plans for her to be in the Dallas Children's Center um, for at least a year. Okay. And he left. And we were digesting that. And um, I, since she was awake and doing a little bit better, I actually left the hospital for the first time and went and, pay, and stayed in a hotel room. So we had a hotel room, and every time we went to pay for it, they'd say, it's been taken care of. It's been taken care of. We never had to pay a hotel bill. And don't know who paid for it. And so um, I went to the hotel and slept for a few hours. Um, and the next morning, Lori Harbert came down, and she, um, they're in our connections group, and um, she came down, and she says, man, I was really surprised at how good Kinsey was doing, and I said, yeah, she had her eyes open, and she said, and she's eating a popsicle and watching Blue's Clues. Did you not know that? Oh, I could not get my clothes on fast enough and run to that hospital room, and there was my baby sitting up, eating a popsicle, watching Blue's Clues. And so um, her recovery began. Um, she couldn't speak. She couldn't walk. She couldn't use her hands very well. But she was alive, and she was doing well. So a week later, um, no, 10 days later, instead of us moving her to the Children's Center in Dallas, as Dr. Elterman had told us that we would be doing, we were preparing to take her home. God. And this man, who has the personality of a doorknob, and I'm pretty sure loved his standard poodle way more than he loved any other human on earth, stood before her and said, this is the greatest miracle I have ever seen. Mm. And I said, how many cases have you treated of this acute disseminated encephalomyelitis? He said, counting her? I said, yes. He said, two. There were 97 people in the largest case study of this disease at this time. And we found the one pediatric neurologist that had treated one other case in the United States. So um, we brought Kinsey home, and she was home for a couple of weeks, and um, she had a relapse. And um, we went back um, down for the relapse, and this relapse was particularly hard because her eyes crossed on this relapse, and she was uncontrollably flapping her arm. Oh my gosh, that just about finished me off as a mom. I mean, that. That was hard, hard, hard. And again, um, here was Melanie right down there with us the whole time, um, doing everything for us that we needed to do. And, um, and when I couldn't stay in that room watching my baby flap, she would stay and watch her flap for me. Um, and so back home, church was taking care of everything at our house. Our connections groups was mowing for us. Paula Stafford and Lori Harbert clean, has cleaned my house more than I have ever cleaned my house <laughs> to this day. 
Um, Iris Brooks would walk in the front door and walk through the house and pick up laundry all through the house, hug me on the way out, and do my laundry all the time. Um, when we got out of, um, by the time we got out of um, ICU the second time and we were wheeling into the regular floor, I kid you not, the tech was wheeling us in and we get to the door and the room number is 666. And I said, whoo. And he looked over at me and he goes, you don't have to go in if you don't want to. There's a lot of people that won't go into that room. And I was like, you know what? There ain't nothing Satan can do at this point. We got it. And so um, we, we went in there. And um, so they decided at that point that she would have to do a recovery of a, of a year of this intensive IVIG, which is pretty common now, but it wasn't then. And uh, we'd have to do it down in Dallas. And so we'd have to go down for a week every, um, every month. And so every month on Sunday night before we left, there was a connections group here that would ring our doorbell and we'd open it up and there was, okay, this was back in the day, kids, before there was phones, uh-huh, before there was videos at our hands, uh, before we could play games and anything like that, we had to use coloring books, paper. It was horrible. But we would show up and we'd open up the door and there was a huge box of things to entertain Kenzie because she had to be hooked up for an IV for eight hours a day the whole time we were there. And they had her covered. She had toys and baby dolls and every month, faithfully, they had a Kenzie entertainment box. So um, she's, she came a long way. She had to learn to walk again. She had to learn to talk again. Um, we had to learn to do everything. We had to learn to potty train again. We had to learn to do everything all over again. But God was faithful through every step of it. So tell us a bit more about the way, specifically, what your faith looked like during that whole story. I mean, you know, it's a long swath. Yeah, so I think, you know, when you kind of in crisis, you can either go one way or the other. So you can either go further away from Christ because you're so angry right? But we were at the rock bottom, and there was nothing else to lean on but Christ. I mean, we didn't have any other choice. We had everybody telling us she was going to die, that there was no hope. And so I can remember, though, at one time, um, we, were in the, we were in ICU still, and I was laying over her praying, and, um, and this nurse walks in, and he was new. We hadn't had him before, and he walks in. He goes, oh my gosh, are you all right? And I said, oh, yes. And he goes, you're praying. And I said, yes. And he goes, I've been dying to get you guys. He said, I switched my schedule around so I could have Kinsey today. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. He said, y'all are the talk of the whole hospital. And I was like, and I was kind of afraid that it was because I was so stoned. Um, and I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah. And he says, um, everybody's, everybody's talking about Kinsey. He said, you know that when you walk in this room, you can feel the Holy Spirit. And I said, no. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, of course you wouldn't know because he's all around you too. But you walk in this room, you walk through the wall of the Holy Spirit to get to this child. And he said, everybody is talking about this. Um, and, and so I hung on to that. I hung on to the prayers of everybody showing up. I hung on to the prayers because I knew and I chose to see God in all of those things. 
I didn't say, what a coincidence that this happened, or isn't that funny that it happened this way? It was God, and I chose to see God in every one of those incidences and not see coincidence or fate or whatever you might want to call it. It was God. Um, and so I could feel the Holy Spirit. We could feel it work. Other people could feel it working. And when we started it out, and other people would remind us, the Holy Spirit's in this room. The Holy Spirit's around this child. So let me finish the story that I started about the trash can being overturned and the nurse coming in. So um, about a year and a half afterwards, Steve told me, he said, um, you know what happened that night? He says, I dozed off, and I woke up, and there was an angel sitting over Kinsey's head, and he was leaning over and whispering in Kinsey's ear. And he said, and I jumped up, and it flew to the left, flew out to the left. He said, the nurse saw it too. That's why she came in. And she said, did you see it? And he said, yes, I saw it. He said, she came back three days later and pulled him out in the hall, and he, she said, I have to talk to you about what we saw. Did you see the figure bending over, whispering in her ear? And he said, yes. He, she said, I've never seen that. He said, neither have I. And she said, do you believe in angels? He said, I do now. Um, but there was an angel that was whispering and praying over wow. Kinsey. Mm. That's amazing. How did Christ and his church bring you through this crisis? Well, we wouldn't have been able to make it without the church. I mean, the church started showing up from the moment that we were there. Now, I'll also tell you, right in the middle of all of this, right after her relapse and right before she started IVIG, Steve's mom dropped dead of a heart attack. We were at a low point. Low, 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 low point. Our connections group, that was, that was our tribe. They were our lifeline. They were everything to us. They were everything to our children that were here, that they, they assumed our life. Well, I want to close with the uh, same question we've been closing with, which is, if you have a word of hope, a gospel word to leave with everybody here, especially those who might be going through a similar crisis or will have something like that in their lives, what word would you leave with them? You know, there's no coincidences. You have to choose to see God in the moment that you're in. The good moments and the bad moments. It's your choice to see God in those moments. So always choose to see God and release to his wisdom and his ways. Thank you. Well, let's invite Kinsey up, and we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. And then when we... Yes. she beautiful <laughs> so Kenzie's 17 now mm. and she wasn't supposed to be here and she has taught us more 
in those 17 years than we will ever be able to teach her. I want to pray over you all. Lord, I give thanks for this family, for Lisa and for Kinsey, and for your amazing work in their lives. God, I want to give thanks for um, just these wonderful people and the health and um, goodness that you have brought to them uh, over the years, Lord, the way that you have just continued to bind them together and continue to take them down your path and to guide them to love and watch over and preserve and provide for. Lord, I just praise you for the bucks and for all that you're doing through them in this church, in this state, in their community, and in their family. God, help us to choose to see with the eyes of faith. To see with the eyes of faith those around us uh, that we can love, that we can support and protect. And Lord Jesus, we just praise you. We lift you up as the Lord of heaven and earth. And we give thanks this morning. Thank you for telling your story in Lisa, in Kinsey, in Steve, in their whole family. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen. Let's give them a round of applause. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says this. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is Paul's time-worn but powerful metaphor for the church as Christ's body. And all of us are a part of this one body, but we are different parts, knees, eyes, ears, livers. And we come together as one body in Christ. And as Paul says, when one of us suffers, all of us suffer together. This important point for the Corinthians, this important point for us is that each part of the body is equally important, interdependent, and mutually together with one another, relying on the body as a whole. And that's one of those words that we use for the health of our body. When our body is healthy, we say it's whole. And I hope you noticed in Lisa's story the way that the church was there to suffer with one another. The way that the church was constantly at their side, at their beck and call, giving of them, people that didn't even know them, but members of this body of Christ that chose to suffer with one another so that they might be made whole. Right? A, a neck injury is not just the business of the neck. The whole body adjusts to it. 
A headache is not just the business of the head. It can set the whole body on edge. And the way that the church comes together as Christ's body is the way that we come around one another when they're in need. That's what Christ calls us to, to be truly his hands and feet to one another as we restore each other to wholeness so that we can walk out as his body into the world, loving those around us with that same reconciling love. Praise God for his church. Praise God for his church and his body and the way that he loves us and the world through it. Let's stand and praise that God together.